This season of The Witch Wave is brought to you in part by Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab. Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab is a fragrance house specializing in body and household blends with a dark, romantic, gothic tone. Over the years, they've collaborated with some of my very favorite creative visionaries, including Neil Gaiman, Jim Jarmusch, the Jim Henson Company, and most recently, Junji Ito. They continually return to inspirations drawn from witchcraft, paganism, and mythology, and they also have a sister store called Twilight Alchemy Lab, which creates oils blended and consecrated specifically for ritual use. The lab recently released their annual Halloween perfume collection, a limited edition series which includes scents inspired by folklore accounts of lycanthropy. Customer reviews of their products can be found at the fanrunbpal.org web forum, and you can check out all of their perfumes and other enchanting concoctions over at blackphoenixalchemylab.com. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Snowy Owl Tea. Snowy Owl Tea is unique handcrafted tea made with real fruit, fresh ground whole spices, full leaf teas, and blossoms. It's created with your health and comfort in mind using 100% biodegradable tea bags, and it comes in the most splendid prismatic packaging with whimsical illustrations that charm and delight. I am obsessed with Snowy Owl Tea, especially my favorite seasonal blend, Ginger Snapped, which is back for cozy season, and I am so excited and I plan on stocking up. It tastes like gingerbread and it is the best. This spooky season, Snowy Owl Tea is also offering goat, a toasted pumpkin and pumpkin seed tea, featuring the world's cutest baby goat on the label, and Fancy AF, Fig Rose Oolong Tea, which stars puppies having a tea party. They are also currently offering peppermint bark tea for the holidays, and of course, they have their year-round blends like the delicious warm hearth tea with hibiscus and chai spices, and limited edition blends like their wonderfully witchy Midnight Moon, which is an Earl Grey with lavender and vanilla, and it is so good. So go on and order your scrumptious Snowy Owl Tea today at snowyowltea.com and be sure to use code WITCH for 10% off your order. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Open Coven. Okay, potential stitch witches, have you been wanting to learn how to stitch but don't know where to get started? Do you love embroidery but can't find kits available to match your aesthetic? Then check out Open Coven's embroidery kits. Each one is designed for beginner crafters, and they include a printed design, embroidery floss, a needle, an embroidery hoop, full instructions, and a stitch guide. They are super cool and super magical, inspired by the occult, social justice, and zine culture. These kits are far from traditional, and you will love them. 
And best of all, Witchwave listeners will receive 10% off their first order and a pass for a free live online class by using the code WITCHWAVE23. Open Coven's embroidery kits also make a great gift for the stitcher in your life. So go on ahead to OpenCoven.com for more details, and don't forget to use code WITCHWAVE23 for 10% off. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Welcome to the Witch Wave. My lovely friends, there is so much going on right now, and I imagine that like me, you are perhaps grappling with how to balance your personal struggles and strivings and celebrations with the global strife which is happening right now specifically in regard to the conflict in Israel-Palestine, though of course that is just one of many deeply challenging, to say the least, things to be concerned about at the moment. But I just want to say at the top of the show that I'm going to speak for a bit now about my feelings regarding what's been happening in Gaza and in Israel-Palestine overall. And this is not what the entire episode is going to be about, but this is what I feel called to talk about right now. So if you have the capacity to listen, and I hope you do, I am really appreciative of your presence and your consideration. And I also feel called to speak about my intentions for this episode, which is an episode that overall is, I think, actually quite uplifting and magical and loving. But I still feel called to add further context to it and to clarify my intentions for it because it is such a sensitive time. And you're about to hear two witches of Jewish ancestry talk about Israel-Palestine for a bit. And then my guest and I do have a wider conversation about Jewitchery and sacred arts. And it is really juicy and really inspiring. But given that sensitive moment that we're in, I just feel the need to state for the record a few things regarding my current thinking and feeling about all of this. And I'm going to say this carefully and thoughtfully, and no doubt still imperfectly, because like you, I am a human being. And you might not agree with every exact word I choose or even with my opinions, 
but I ask that you receive them and that you receive this episode in the spirit intended, which is one of love and compassion and a real desire to manifest true, deep peace and to hold nuance and care at the center of this conversation. So as you know, I am a witch and I am Jewish. You've heard me sometimes refer to myself as a Jew witch, as many Jewish witches do. And so the love of my ancestry and my family is deep and eternal and something I'm very proud of and protective of. I also have family living in Israel. They are blessedly safe and doing fine right now. But after the brutal attacks on October 7th, there was real fear that they might not be okay. And it took a while for my family to find out that everyone was indeed safe. And I'm so grateful that they are all, at least for the time being, doing just fine relative to the horrors happening in the region. And I'm telling you this to let you know that I have a deep investment in the safety of Israeli people and in the idea of Jewish people having protection and peace, especially as, yes, the Jewish people are a people who have been chased, hunted, from pretty much every home we've ever had. And let's be clear, anti-Semitism and persecution of the Jewish people did not start on October 7th. It did not even start with the Holocaust. This has been going on for thousands of years. And so the trauma and deep longing for safety is an intergenerational wound that Jewish people carry with us, whether or not we are even fully conscious of it. And so my love for Jewish people, my sympathy for and with Jewish people is not just intellectual or hypothetical or even just emotional. It is at the spiritual and cellular level of who I am, okay? So please know that. And I also know that the only way to heal intergenerational trauma of any kind is to consciously commit to not perpetuating that trauma or enacting harm on other people. In other words, being persecuted, even if you have been persecuted for thousands of years, this does not justify persecuting other people. Even if you think it's in the spirit of self-defense, there is no justification for persecuting other people. And in fact, I don't even think that persecuting other people for your safety makes anyone actually safer. And it certainly doesn't bring about true peace in anyone's heart or on this planet. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. And so I deeply grieve 
the horrific loss of life and ache about the torture and the abductions that were inflicted on the Israeli people on October 7th. And I hope that every hostage is brought home safely and that the Israeli people can be given the space and grace to grieve and process what happened on that day. And for Jewish people around the world to be given the space and grace they need to grieve and process everything this brings up for us in terms of our history and our fear and our trauma and our pain. But oppressing, harming, attacking more innocent people is not the answer. And the decades of oppression that Palestinian people have had to endure at the hands of the Israeli government and the governments around the world who support them is unacceptable. It is inhumane. It is disgraceful. And now, as I record this, the Israeli government bombing innocent civilians, killing children, destroying hospitals, denying the Palestinian people health care, food, water, basic safety is unacceptable. And it is honestly wild to me that this is a controversial statement. But here we are in these times. And I've been vocal online about supporting a ceasefire. And yes, I also desperately want the Israeli hostages to be brought home to safety. But I truly do not believe that killing and inflicting violence on the innocent people of Gaza is the solution to that. Now, you might disagree, but that is how I feel. And let me also just say that if you do disagree, okay, I understand people have different perspectives, or you might disagree with part of what I'm saying, or you might think that what I'm saying is too idealistic, but realistically, we have to do it this other way. You know, all right, you are entitled to that different opinion. But if you do disagree with me, or with anyone else who is calling for ceasefire and calling for peace, you in turn calling me or anyone else awful names or otherwise bringing your own toxic anger and aggression and harm to these conversations is also not helping. Just putting that out there. So let's all take a breath. And if discussions or disagreements need to be had, let's do it without further inflicting harm on each other. Please, I am asking you, if you disagree with me before you pop off or make some comment in my social media or in my DMs or in my emails, just ask yourself, am I perpetuating further harm? Or am I truly trying to manifest 
peace through my words and through my actions. Again, this doesn't mean that we can't disagree, but there's a way to go about doing it that is productive and generative versus disrespectful and destructive. So that is what I ask of you. Now, if you're listening to this, it's because you probably consider yourself to be a spiritual person or a seeker of some kind or at least spiritually curious. And the basic tenets of spirituality, as far as I understand them, are to seek enlightenment and expansion and connection with the divine. And that means loving ourselves and each other. Not in a Hallmark card, coffee mug kind of way, but to truly love and care about one another because we are all each other. We are all interconnected. We are all of capital S spirit. And so no matter our bodies, our backgrounds, our nationalities, our faiths, we are one. Okay? And I know that sounds simple, but I also know that it's a really hard one to put into practice sometimes. Believe me, I know, especially when there are moments where we are fundamentally in disagreement with each other or when there are people who are acting out of fear and not acting out of love themselves. And I'm not saying that I'm always great at putting this all into practice at every moment myself or in every situation myself. And I'm also not saying that we shouldn't defend ourselves and the people we love sometimes or fight for liberation and safety with righteousness and tender ferocity. But we need to maintain our humanity and to strive to be our best, most loving selves, to strive for peace, and to consciously refuse to justify inflicting further harm on people just because we have been harmed. Vengeance never brings peace. It might feel temporarily satisfying or even cathartic, but it certainly doesn't bring long-term betterment to the world or to our individual lives. It just doesn't. And that is what I truly believe to be true. And so, no, I can't tell anyone how to resolve the Israel-Palestine conflict. And no one's asking me to. Thank the gods. And that's why I've been sharing the words and work of other folks on my Instagram feed and in my stories who have been helping me orient myself towards peace and justice and forward motion in that direction. But I can tell you at least what I'm doing to try and contribute in my small way, not to tell you to do the same thing or even think exactly the same way, but to hopefully inspire you to do something, something positive, something that adds creative, generative, loving, compassionate, visionary energy to this conversation and to the world. There are so many ways you can help, and you do not have to do all of them. I don't care 
how the scolds on Instagram might make you feel if social media is just not your medium, that's okay. You can help in other ways. You can speak up, show up, donate. And on my personal Instagram page at Phantasmophile, you'll find a link in my bio to an article listing some of the places you can donate to. I myself have been donating to Doctors Without Borders, which is providing medical care on the ground, on the front lines, in Gaza, as well as to other conflict zones around the world. But there are many, many, many other places fundraising for Palestine and for Israel, because remember, Israeli citizens are not their government. And many of them want peace as well and need care right now as well, just as the Palestinian people are not their government. So it is up to you to decide where and how to donate, because there are lots of places, but I have chosen Doctors Without Borders for the time being. I have also called my reps in Congress in order to add my voice to the many, many people who have been asking for a ceasefire in the region. And I have added my name to what I think is a very thoughtful and detailed letter, which has been drafted by Jewish writers, artists, and activists. You can find it on nplusonemag.com. The letter is entitled, A Dangerous Conflation. And it essentially says that criticizing what the Israeli government is doing right now in Gaza and has been doing in Palestine is not inherently anti-Semitic. And believe me, I know that anti-Semitism is on the rise everywhere right now, as is Islamophobia. Anti-Semitism, though, is directly personal for me and my family. It scares me. It triggers my intergenerational trauma as a person of Jewish descent. And so I would never condone anti-Semitism in any form. But along with many other Jewish folks right now and Jew witches right now and pagan Jews right now and non-pagan Jews right now, I do not believe that simply saying that the Israeli government needs to stop bombing innocent civilians in Gaza and stop oppressing Palestinian people is anti-Semitic. I just don't. And in fact, caring for those in need and those who are the underdogs, those who are being persecuted, those who need our help and who need protection, this is actually an incredibly Jewish thing to do. In Judaism, we are taught the phrase tikkun olam, which essentially means to heal the world, to repair the world, to put broken pieces back together. And so I am unapologetically and proudly adding my name to the list of folks of Jewish descent who are crying out for peace and healing in the region. And look, I know the Israeli-Palestinian political conflict is gnarly and awful, and that governments on all sides have been at fault at times for the peace process breaking down. I know, I know, I know. And I also know that the conflict and power struggle in the region is actually, in fact, centuries old. But this is the moment we are in 
now. And this moment calls for humanity, mercy, compassion, consideration, forgiveness, love, and true peace. And it is in that spirit and with that intention that I invited today's guest, Katsira Lesser, on to the podcast. Katsira is a Jewish, a priestess, an artist, an amulet maker, a teacher, and just an overall wise and thoughtful being whose work has inspired and educated me for a long time and whose recent offerings have comforted me and have felt like a way to apply magic and beauty and craft and witchcraft to this specific moment in time. Now, usually at this time, just before getting to my guest, I would be answering a witch wire question. And there are some truly wonderful ones waiting in the wings. But as I went through the pile of recent questions and messages that I've received, none of them honestly felt quite appropriate for this episode. And I've honestly gone on long enough at this point anyway, so I am just going to trust my intuition and break with tradition today and lead us straight into the interview. So a little bit more about my marvelous guest, Katsira Lesser Hama Agelet is a maker and teacher of the sacred arts, who is an ordained Kohenet and celebrant, as well as holding a BFA from the University of Miami. Through Devotage Sacred Arts, she explores Jewishly rooted making, Musar, and magic to connect past, present, and possible futures, crafting artifacts for a forgotten future that is more equitable, just, and spiritually alive. The second edition of her oracle deck, Eight At, a Netivot Wisdom Oracle, which is based on Jewish teachings, recently funded in only five days on Kickstarter and will be available to the public soon. And let me just say that Katsira and I talk about Israel-Palestine for maybe the first 20% of this conversation, but then we discuss so much more about her magic and art and about Jewitchery in general. And I found the whole thing to be quite uplifting and inspiring. So I promise it is not only going to be about conflict and pain. There is so much beauty and bewitchment packed into this episode, and I absolutely loved it. I hope you do too, and I hope that you will listen to it with open ears and an open heart. Katsira lives in Washington, D.C., but for this episode, she joined me from her travels via Zoom. Katsira Lesser, welcome to The Witch Wave. Thank you so much for having me, Pam. 
I'm so thrilled to have you, and I'm so happy to see your face just a few weeks after we met in person for the first time. You were a speaker at the Occult Humanities Conference at NYU that I co-organized, and you were tip-top of my list of people I wanted to hear speak, and you are tip-top of my list of people I wanted to speak to on the Witch Wave. So I'm so thrilled and so grateful that you're able to make the time. Same, same. And as you know, I was fangirling back at you through the entire conference. So amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I don't usually put a timestamp on these interviews because I want them to be evergreen and I want people to be able to enter into them at any time. But because you and I are both Jewish Americans, and because there is currently the conflict that is unfolding and unfortunately accelerating in Israel-Palestine, I do just want to state for the record, you know, you and I are speaking on October 28th. This will air in early November. So by the time people hear this, certainly more things will have transpired. But just like very quickly, I just wanted to do a check-in. Like, how are you doing? How are you feeling about Ugh, everything that's happening in the region. I think your ugh covers a fair amount of it. Yeah, I've always said I'm neither Zionist enough nor non-Zionist enough or anti-Zionist enough where everybody's always mad at me, basically, because I really believe in living in the paradox of this, as a friend of mine put it recently and I thought was really apt. I feel terrible about all of it. My family's very diaspora. I don't have direct connections to Israel-Palestine except being Jewish. Everything is sort of one to two degrees of like, I have many friends who are Israeli, or I have many friends who are American Jews who have family or deeper connections. But beyond that, you know, you start with the first part of October 7th, the largest massacre of Jews since the Holocaust, right? It's really hard not to sit with that. And full stop for me, calling it a terrorist attack. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's a lot happening in the region prior, there's history, but it doesn't matter. People were massacred. Mm -hmm. And then there's part two, which is so tragically, the Israeli government didn't give anyone time to mourn and didn't call for a national week of shiva, of mourning. They went right into war. Mm -hmm. So now before anyone in the world could mourn with them, Jewish people could take a breath all over the world. Suddenly, Gaza is being leveled. And... While Hamas is, without question to me, a terrorist organization, I don't put that on the entire Palestinian population. Simultaneously grieving so many deaths on one side and also looking at what's happening to so many hundreds of thousands, millions of people right now because they happen to be Palestinian and have had nowhere to go. <sighs> Sitting in that paradox of the pain of the terrorist attack and now at least in my understanding of it, the Israeli government committing war crimes. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what to do with that information. And anything that one posts online right now is viciously attacked. Yeah. I don't remember witnessing as many posts that actually were simply compassionate with comments off mm -hmm. about almost any other situation. And that in itself to me is also really tragic that people are so afraid of being attacked for saying, stop murdering people. Yep, exactly. Everybody, everybody, stop murdering everybody. 
Mm-hmm. It is simultaneously a lot to hold and I have to remember I'm not the center of this in any way, shape or form. And yes. I think that's the other piece is being a diasporic Jew, we collectively tend to get spun up pretty easily. Yeah, <laughs> We have a lot of ancestral trauma that gets activated mm-hmm. and I'm not physically in danger. Yeah, And so always remembering that and trying my level best to center those who are over in Israel, Palestine right now, who are in active physical danger. And who lost their yeah. lives. It's very hard to like a short answer, right? Other than sitting in the paradox. Yes. I feel like it's the easiest short answer. Yes. Thank you, my friend Riv Shapiro. I think that's so beautifully said. I think we should probably just state for the record unequivocally that I believe you share my sentiments. I'll speak for myself anyhow that I absolutely believe in peace. I absolutely believe in nobody harming the other person on any side. Neither you nor I are political experts, but clearly what has happened in this region did not start on October 7th. And there's a whole gnarly, painful history with a lot of blame to go around on all sides. But clearly, the Palestinian people have been suffering at the hands of the Israeli government for decades now. And I don't think either you nor I support that kind of suffering. And I think you and I both share that we have an intention of wanting to see peace happen in this region. Am I putting words in your mouth or is that fair to say? You are not putting words in my mouth and I'll take that one further. The occupation is untenable. Mm -hmm. What I don't feel confident in any way speaking to is what the solution is, right? So there are a lot of people who have like the very clear, I haven't heard anybody other than the two-state solution, which feels like a pipe dream. I haven't heard anybody with a solution that feels realistic, but without question, the occupation is untenable. What's happened previously in Gaza, what's happening in the West Bank still is horrible and Israelis also have a right to be safe. Mm -hmm. It's so absurdly complicated. Yes. I don't think anybody is tuning into the witch wave for a solution to the conflict in the Middle East. Thank goodness, because I certainly couldn't offer that. Neither can you. I do want to pivot into the work you do. The connective tissue here being something that you made with your magic gave me visual language, magical language, literal language, at least help make me feel that I could share something positive on social media, frankly, because I have been someone who, and I don't want to get into all the annoying details of it, but I've had people make all kinds of comments. Why aren't you saying enough? Why aren't you putting it this way? And it hasn't been too bad, but I have gotten a little bit of that feedback. You created a sigil. And for those listening, a sigil is essentially a magically charged emblem or symbol. You created a sigil that you shared both on Instagram and in your Substack, and you shared at the Occult Humanities Conference, which was essentially a magical offering gesturing towards peace in this region. Could you explain this sigil to folks? Clearly, it's better if they see it with their own eyes, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But can you talk about how you developed this sigil and what your intention was behind it? Yeah, thank you. The pressure to say something every time the world blows up is weirdly enormous. And in this particular one, I didn't know what to say. I wanted to let the information come in and 
I felt like my proper role wasn't to lecture people on where to be on this, but to actually try to provide spiritual support Mm -hmm. in the complexity. The first thing I actually did was I started a playlist. And listening to the playlist over and over again led to the idea of the sigil in there. And the words that had been coming to me, and I just named the playlist, was shalom, salam, peace, peace. Mm. Peace in Hebrew, peace in Arabic. And people are very upset right now as well. When one says peace, what they hear is truce. Mm -hmm. And peace, shalom in Hebrew means whole and complete. This isn't a temporary peace that I'm personally praying for and working towards. This isn't a peace without liberation. It is true wholeness, completion, true peace. So I started with the playlist and then thought about, well, what is it I do? Well, get your Jewish on and let's translate these feelings into something. Mm. And when I make sigils, I have technique a lot of folks would use. You start with the phrase, start with the intention. And what I then usually do is I find a passage from the Tanakh, the Jewish Bible or other writings that lines up with the intention. And then I match up that phrase with a feeling state. So I both know what the feeling state I'm trying to evoke is. And then I'm using sacred words as part of it. So I ended up at a couple, but where I landed was on part of Isaiah 2, 4. And in part because it's also a song. It's a common song in uh, especially Passover time, which is a holiday of liberation and a holiday of remembering we were strangers oppressed in a strange land. Mm. How you treat the stranger and how you behave when your enemies are killed after even you've been oppressed. There's just a lot packed in for me in that. So I took this phrase from the end of Isaiah 2.4, Lo yisegoi el goi cherev, v'lo yemoldu od melchama. And it simply is, nation shall not take up sword against nation. They shall never learn war again. Mm. And that translation, actually, I just picked up from somebody else. It's usually translated, they shall never again know war. But if you're looking at the Hebrew, velo yimoldu is stronger connotation around teaching. It can be translated like, oh, you'll never know it again. But this idea that we'll never teach each other war again had even more power for me. There has to be another way. I started in the tech Jewish with a solid dose of chaos magic. <laughs> so immediately took the Hebrew phrase, took all the repeating letters out started breaking Hebrew letters down into their basic shapes, just like one might do in English if you use that technique, Mm -hmm. and started drawing and ended up with a sigil that is almost in my imagination as I think of it, it is a balance. It's almost like scales holding. And the part that isn't true, or I added to it out of sort of the letters, on one side of the scale is almost another sigil for the name of God that I found in several old amulets. And then on the other side is a calligraphic rendering of the word for Allah, God in Arabic, that I found. So you have this balance of scales. You have actually earlier lines right before it in two fairly famous lines. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. So there's some sharp lines with some horizontal lines trying to bring these pieces together. And I really like working on black backgrounds and lately with gold, 
light pen and procreate. Mm. So I like to work with very literal light when I'm working and drawing on the word in modern Hebrew for electricity is chashmal or chashmal. That's also in Ezekiel's vision, which is an acid trip of a text. (laughs) Yes. It's, It's a total acid trip. But in Ezekiel's vision, that's the God stuff. I translate that as aether, so in magical context. So when I'm working with the internet and I'm working with Procreate, which is a digital design piece, and I have my Apple pen, right? A magic wand. Yes. Connecting electricity of my body to the electricity of everything in God stuff. And then the final version of the sigil I did put inside of a double circle to just sort of really border it and give it that power. Mm. It is so beautiful. And I just want to thank you once again for creating it and for sharing it because when I was really grappling with what I wanted to express and what I wanted to share publicly in terms of my own commentary and intent around this conflict, that was what I landed on. And it felt like just the perfect expression of where my heart is at, too. So thank you so much for creating it. Truly, truly. Thank you. And I've been studying up a little more on the whole situation, trying to get my history right as best I can. And a word I had never used for the conflict and the whole the situation. And I was in a conversation with a colleague who's a Hindu Canadian, as he put it. And mm. I said that sort of the situation reminds me, at least in my limited understanding of partition, the separation of India and Pakistan. Mm. And his eyes like got really big and he stared at me and he's like, oh my God, you're right. And I was looking up some more information the last few days. And I didn't realize that originally the UN called it a partition. Mm. But it's a failed partition in so many ways. So there's something, and I'm realizing at the center of that sigil, the two lines come together with a circle as well, a partition that never happened properly, a separation that never happened effectively enough. And some may disagree that a partition should have ever happened. I understand that. But because the clean cut never happened, it's just been bleeding over into each other And even before that, honestly, since actually 1917. Mm -hmm. Let's take a pause and we will be right back. The Witch Wave is sponsored by BetterHelp. So we've turned the clocks back, which means it's getting darker earlier. And as much as I love the shadowy and spooky aspects of this time of year, I also sometimes feel a little bit blue and a little bit stressed, and sometimes seasonal anxiety sets in for me. You know, there's not as much sunlight, you're not getting as much vitamin D, and on top of that, we're going right into Thanksgiving and all of the winter holidays, and it can just sometimes feel like a lot for me, all of the planning and trying to keep on top of everything. And this is really normal. I know a lot of people experience this, but something that's helped me is first of all embracing the shadow side of the season and the magic of it to really embrace that feeling of turning inward, cocooning, and doing all of our witchcraft around the darker half of the year. Not to mention lighting our candles and keeping it cozy. But I have another bright spot in my life which really helps me at this time of year, and that is therapy. 
I've said it so many times, if I could give everyone on earth therapy, I would. It helps me so much, especially during times of year when I am feeling overwhelmed or stressed or anxious. Therapy gives me the tools to help make me feel grounded and to help manage everything that's going on. It also helps me develop certain self-care techniques and skills to make sure that I have that real centering, that real anchoring. So no matter what stress or even sadness starts swirling at this time of year, I know that I have this space where I can talk it through with somebody that I trust. And even though I can't wave my magic wand and give therapy to everyone on earth, Lucky for us, technology helps make it more accessible, especially thanks to BetterHelp. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. And if you visit betterhelp.com slash witchwave, you will get 10% off your first month of online counseling. That's betterhelp, spelled H-E-L-P, dot com slash witchwave. Exciting news, the Many Moons Lunar Planner is now shipping with endless uses and endless opportunities to grow and glow. The 2024 Many Moons Lunar Planner is your guide to self-discovery. Focus on what's most important to you with prompts, encouragements, and rituals alongside tarot spreads, spells, and exclusive essays. This is such a unique resource for magic, expansion, and introspection for each new and full moon, all of the astrological transits, and info for the entire year and so much more. See why this lunar planner has a devoted following, and I count myself among them, and set yourself up for success next year by ordering your copy of the 2024 edition today at moon-studio.co, that's moon-studio.co, or by clicking the link in the show notes. Would you like even more Witchwave? Do you wish that you could hear from me and my other magical guests on a weekly basis? And what about doing monthly rituals with yours truly? Then come join me over on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witchwave Plus episodes, ad-free Witchwave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. I also lead a monthly online magical workshop, which you can attend live or watch the recording of at your convenience. Rewards for some tiers also include magical merch and contests where you can win witchly prizes each month, as well as early heads up about my other workshops before they sell out. And you can even sign up for the opportunity to work with me one-on-one. 
and all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven where you can connect to a community of other wonderful witch wave witches around the world. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to patreon.com slash witchwave now and sign up. It's a magnificent way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Katsira Lesser. So, Katsira, I want to zoom out a bit. We focused on this beautiful sigil that you've created. That is just one of many, many, many offerings that you create and provide folks with. Well, why don't you describe yourself in your own words? How do you describe yourself? I was going to say a priestess, a Jewish. How do you describe yourself these days? Yeah, the simplest version I use is maker and teacher of the sacred arts. Mm, I like that. Especially being Jewish, and I function in both normative Jewish worlds and magical Jewish worlds. And in normative Jewish worlds, saying you practice Jewish magic or you're Jewish doesn't always go over great right away. Yep. Not that I apologize for it in any way. And I find the word sacred arts strips away some of the assumptions people might have by whenever you say the word magic. What I mean by it, or even Jewish, may not be what they mean. And I find that sacred arts sets it in a way that allows a little more room for what my definitions might be. Yes, it's a wider open circle. I understand that. And you also have this lovely, I don't know if you would call it an epithet, a title that you sometimes add to your name. Would you tell us what that is? Sure. Yeah. The secondary title, the title is Ha Ma'agelet. So Ha is the, Ma'agelet is circle maker. So I was blessed to be ordained through the Kohenet Hebrew Priestess Institute. So I hold the title of Kohenet, which simply means priestess in Hebrew. And then one of the practices of the Institute, which closed this past fall, recently, just a few months ago, When you're ordained, not only did everybody take the title of Kohenet, but you had to also choose what your unique work was through a name or a title, basically. Mm. I have one of the shorter ones. (laughs) Many people have a lot of words. I have a one word that I felt packed everything I needed and has flexed with me over the last 15 odd years. So it's covered a lot of material for me over the years. I love that. And of course, the first time I read that title, my ears perked up because I'm familiar with the Jewish folktale of Honi, the circle maker. And so I was wondering if there was some connection to him. And I don't know if you remember off the top of your head who exactly he was, but I'd love to hear if there was any connective tissue there. Absolutely. Yes. Ma'agelet is the feminine form of ma'agel, which would be Honi. Hebrew is a gendered language, except for the awesome folks doing non-binary Hebrew right now. Yes. The whole movement on that. Different show. (laughs) Honi Hamagel, he is a Jewish wonder worker from the Talmud and Jewish mythology. And if you did magic that was considered acceptable and approved, you were a wonder worker. Oh, you also had to be male. That was another rule. Always, obviously. Always, (laughs) always. And there's a great story. It's one of the more famous ones where... A town needed rain desperately, and they called Honi in, and he drew a circle in the ground. And I looked at it again not that long ago, and it doesn't say the ground, actually. They assume ground. So Mm. it could be he drew a circle in the air. Yeah, I was right in that. Not sure if that part's Hebrew or Aramaic, but I was right in it, like staring at it word by word. Uh, I was like, it doesn't say ground. It just (laughs) says drew a circle. I love that. 
a lot of assumptions. So it says he drew a circle and he called out to the divine and said, I'm going to stay in this circle until it rains. So I look at him as a practitioner of magic within a very Jewish frame. And he's also a cautionary tale later on. So a reminder that even if you are practicing within an acceptable frame, sometimes people decide you no longer are. Mm-hmm. So right. yes, very much took the name from him. And also one of my forms that my magic takes is embroidery. So I'm working with embroidery hoops all the time. So there's the circle maker aspect that comes in for me of working within circles a lot. I love that so much. And clearly as a priestess, you're making circles of ritual, circles of community. Ah, it is such a beautiful and powerful epithet. I love that. I want to actually quickly pivot. I promise we'll circle back to you and the work you make. But this story about Honi and the inappropriateness of magic in a Jewish context, of course, makes me think of that way too often quoted Bible passage from Exodus, which I think in the King James Version was translated to, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. And a lot of people use this Bible passage to justify the killing of witches. Now, you shared with us a slightly different interpretation of this passage, and I'd love for you to share that as well as to talk about what is the Jewish attitude towards witches and magic makers. Ooh, all right, we can go backwards. There is not a positive attitude historically towards witches in a Jewish teaching, although it is so worth reading parts of the Talmud about what it has to say. It's really fun. Witches were almost always female. Mm -hmm. Although, again, there is some apologist thing happening here and there that that line, thou shall not suffer a witch to live, they then say it means men and women. It is conjugated feminine, though. Hmm. So if you're not going to put us in everywhere else, you could be conjugating it as men and women. Can we just take our pain here? Like there's something weird to me about not being honest that this is actually about women doing things. Yep. So yeah, it's Exodus 22:17. Again, commonly thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. The question is first, what does mikashefa, which is witch, mean? Quite literally, what are the practices? People aren't banned in the Torah, practices are. So what is the practice? Yes, there are the people of the land and those other people, but within the Jewish Israelite world, it is about practice. And in the section you're in, the line before, the line after, it's all about things you don't do. So what is this mikashefa? What does that even mean is the first thing. And not just for our modern context, but what would it have meant to them? And then you get into the terrible, thou shalt not. Like, what is that? Because it's three whole words. Mikashefa, lo, tichaya. Lo means no. That's nice and easy. So a witch, mikashefa, no, something. And yes, it could mean literally live, life. The root of it is the same as the word chai, life. Mm -hmm. But it could also mean a living. The line before it is about money. So that's a weird one. Mm-hmm. The line after it is a totally different conversation, which is the thing that happens. <laughs> so it could just be a bunch of random things of like, here's the final list of don't do, don't do, don't do. But 
it is interesting putting it in the context of these pieces. And the last thing I'll put on that one is the word mikashefa, it's a homonym. So I know it isn't literal. I know this. It's a sound alike, though. There's another word in Hebrew that is shefa, spelled differently. That is divine abundant flow. Ooh. Right? That is like holy abundance, shefa. Oh, I just got chills when you said that. Happy chills. Yeah. And so again, it's spelled differently. But the way at one point I finally landed on is to me, and this is contextual with what are banned practices for magical in the rest of Torah and other teachings. I think of it as one who fucks with the flow. (laughs) I love it. The assumption, this comes out of a lot of other places too, is that a witch, a female practitioner in particular, cannot possibly be authentically working through divine flow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They must be subverting something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why I took my name the way I did and my title the way I did, because I'm not. I absolutely repudiate that. I am working with divine flow in my magic. And you do consider yourself a witch, correct? I do. And most of the witches I know, there are a few who do not. But so many, if you actually get into it, like, well, yes, I'm tapping into the elements and the world around me. All of these things, it is divine flow and however you understand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My practice is very much within, again, with a healthy dose of chaos magic, but within, <laughs> which I also think is very Jewish, actually, the different show. That's going to be this show, my friend. <laughs> I'm writing that down. Circle back, again, circling to chaos magic. So I work a lot with language. I work a lot with prayer. I work a lot with Jewish folk magic. All of these things that were really, really normative and not considered magic, but women weren't supposed, I'm air quoting very liberally here, supposed to do them. Mm -hmm. And this is also where you get to, okay, I won't remember which passage it is, but witches in the Talmud, so good. Mm -hmm. One of my teachers, Taya Sher, Taya has a song of this. The wise woman sits at the crossroads and she quotes this Talmud passage as she starts, which is, if a woman is sitting on one side of the crossroads and another is sitting on the other side, they are surely practicing witchcraft. (laughs) I mean, true. (laughs) I mean, no lies. No lies detected. What I love is I finally looked up that passage in the Talmud. The rest of it is so amazing because all around it are the sages, air quoting again in my case, but the sages talking about what to do when you encounter these women sitting on either side. Do you wait for them to be done? Do you pray a lot and try to walk through them? Do you kick a little dirt around them? Like they truly believed in the power of these witches as well. Yes. Which is why the sages, and this is again the utter hypocrisy of everything in life. The sages were allowed to learn magic so they could defeat the evil witches. The male sages. Yes. 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 It was fine because they were only learning it to defeat evil witches. Ugh. I mean, yes. <laughs> Lots to unpack there. I also want to just like tease out a little deeper this idea of the living part where there are those interpretations, as you said, of some people saying that this passage implies like, okay, they can be a witch, but they shouldn't charge money for it or they shouldn't be able to support themselves doing it. Correct? 
that is one potential interpretation to make a living. Yeah. And I believe I heard that the first time from one of my other teachers, Rav Kohenet, Rabbi Jill Hammer, should have also called Tama Rav Kohenet from throwing titles around here. Hmm. And yeah, she brought that in because one of the other contexts in the Torah, at least again, in my understanding, an awful lot of it is a story of consolidation of power. Mm. Throughout the whole Tanakh, so the entire Jewish Bible, for lack of a better word, so prophets, all of those other writings as well that we include, there's an awful lot about power consolidation in there. Who is allowed to have power? Who is not allowed to have power? Unless you are someone who, and if you are, I apologize, and this is cool, you're listening to this podcast. If you are, if you are someone who believes that the Torah was quite literally handed word for word to Moses on Mount Sinai, you're not going to agree with anything I say. But if you are someone who believes the Torah was possibly divinely inspired, but written and edited by humans. Yes, imperfect humans with their own intentions and, yep. And agendas and a lot of other things. And there's a lot of evidence where lines have been inserted at different times and the edits over different time. And so there's a lot of the story of power consolidation originally between the Northern and the Southern Kingdom. And there's a lot of like, don't do this because they were over time centralizing power and centralizing power and centralizing power into just Jerusalem. And so if you are a priestly class trying to make sure that people are only paying attention to what you say and your practices, then you don't want these folk practitioners, these women, Audi women out there performing what you would otherwise be compensated for in the temple. Mm. Oh, my goodness. That really resonates. Again, who knows what the truth was, but that makes sense. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. Anyhow, how fascinating. So when we're talking about you and your work as a priestess, as a Jewish, you offer, according to your website, a few different, I'll call them buckets, not a very elegant word. But you offer what you call making, what you call musar, and magic, and you spell magic with a K. So can you share what each of those categories means for you? I know there's so much you could say about each, but briefly. Yeah, that's about a year-old version of explaining what I do. <laughs> it's been an evolution of really like the next phase. And the sacred arts to me are both magic, but also physical. Go back far enough in my life. I make stuff. I like to make things. You're an artist. You were I'm trained an as an I'm artist. A person. Yes. I was trained as an artist. And the making can be a framework, even for me. Like, I love even just that. But there's a fundamental practice of creating things, which also was rooted to me in the Hebrew word for craft, as in craftsmanship, is the same root word as the Hebrew word for angel. <gasps> Stop. Blew me away. I had to like check that with six people to make sure I was right because I couldn't believe that could be real. Wait, wait, wait. I thought the root word for angel was messenger. It's messenger, but a three-letter root. So every Hebrew word has a three to four four-letter root word that lots of other words. And the same word for craft is also for angel. The same one comes in. So it literally wow. can be messenger. Look it up. You'll see it's related to craft. Ah. Divine, being a divine messenger. Ah. So yeah, there's that idea of angels being creatures that do the making on behalf of the divine. So it was a lot of that kind of coming in and really trying to have that piece of be the making. 
So Musar is a Jewish spiritual practice of learning to behave like a half-decent human being. (laughs) At least that's how I quickly explain it. Yeah, yeah. The really boring translation is ethics, Mm -hmm. but it is a spiritual practice. In theory, Jews are charged with being a holy people, whatever that means. And then you're like, no, so I don't know what to do with that. So it's about a thousand-year-old practice of learning to behave. And I think that that's really the key to it, that everything is a choice. How you respond to things is a choice. There's a lot of systemic and things around you. The only thing you can control is how you respond to the choices you're given. And you may have two really crappy choices. Which one is the better choice? And I consider the good choice to be which one expands possibilities, not only for yourself. Mm. Mm-hmm. When I first started teaching Musar, I was asked, like, what does good choice mean? I was like, oh, shit. Okay, I have to, I have to translate that. And I was like, okay, wait, that's actually really easy. There are days where the best you can truly do is what is a truly expansive choice for yourself. That's honestly the best you've got. Okay. But the goal in Musar practice, in my teaching of it, and my understanding of it, is to be always trying to make a choice that is more and more expansive. Mm for not only yourself. Mm, I love that. So there's a lot more to Musar, but like that's... You just saying those words to me made me feel spacious in my chest. Like it made me... So I love that description. Yeah. And again, there's a lot to it, but that's the easiest, that idea of choices. And it's very behavior driven. Mm -hmm. If people know modern behavior change theory, it's actually parallels Mm -hmm. with the ideas. Mm -hmm. You don't wait until you feel a thing to do it. You think about how would a good person behave in this situation? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like fake it till you make it, but the best version of it, maybe. (laughs) It is, it is. The faking I don't like only because people are like, oh, it's inauthentic. I'm like, no, it's until it feels authentic. Yes, 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 yes. So pop culture way of explaining this, which is a lot of my chaos magic is rooted in pop culture. There's a character on the show, The Expanse, also a series of novels, Amos. Amos is not a good person, but he's amazing. And there's a flashback episode. Show's already ended. Sorry for the spoilers. Flashback episode. He's with his foster mother. He's a little kid. And he looks at his foster mother and says, are we good people? Mm. And she says, no, we're not. But we can learn to behave like them. Mm. And I paused and I'm screaming at my husband. Yes. It took a minute to get to the word Musar, and then he knew where I was going. But it's that idea. And in that, it's you have this person that you've identified that you know makes expansive choices, not only for themselves, but as many people as possible. And again, more to it, but it's a really good way of like, again, what's the behavior? How do you behave first until it feels like a natural choice? Mm. And it goes the other way too. The easier bad choices are, constricting choices, the easier they get to make and the bigger they get. How interesting. Okay, so that's Musar in a nutshell. (laughs) In a nutshell. (laughs) Okay, so the third one is magic. Magic, Magic, which I actually prefer to spell with a Q, but no one else does. And so to not confuse people, I still do CK for the larger magical world. Wait, let's pause. So you prefer to spell it M-A-G-I-Q? Yes. Ooh, Trey Chic. So... Chaos magic, which I do conceptually love so much of, my understanding is the choice of the word chaos is actually rooted in the Hebrew word tehom. 
So it's not chaos, crazy, crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Or even chaos Muppets, right? It's chaos as in the void. Mm -hmm. It comes from the first lines of Genesis, tohu vavohu, the chaos and the void. Mm. And that is undifferentiated God stuff that all creation came out of. The prima materia, if we're using alchemical terms. Yep. Yeah. I throw the cue in in that case for this idea of Tahomic magic, which as far as I know, one of two practitioners of, it's myself and my magical partner right now, um, Angelique Rivera. And we have been Jew witching up chaos magic in our practice by really taking some of the things we love. I feel like it's the most chaos magic thing since it's do whatever works. Yeah. Taking the aspects we love and then really putting them through the filters we live in, her as a Jewerican priestess. Ooh. So she's a Puerto Rican woman who's also Jewish mm-hmm. and a witch and mm. a bruja. A lot of things there. Love. A priestess of liberation who keeps me very honest and filtering it through. And so the cue is sort of that idea of Tehomic and somehow we landed on it one day that flipping the C or the CK and then sort of what's another letter that lands there. And in transliteration of Hebrew, to get really annoyingly pedantic, <laughs> the letter that is sometimes translated as a Q is the Hebrew letter Kuf, mm-hmm. also the first letter of my name in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. I love it because it's sort of the eye of the needle, mm-hmm. the way it's shaped, mm-hmm. but it also means monkey. <laughs> so it reminds me not to take myself too seriously at the same time. Like it feels like epically chaos magic. So ah. I throw a little Kuf at the end of it. So you have this like chaos magic, magic thing. I love that. I love it so much. On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. I'm so excited to share that from author and prior Witch Wave guest, Benabel Wen, comes I Ching the Oracle, a historic new translation of the I Ching that brings the power and mysticism of the Book of Changes to contemporary readers. Through in-depth annotations, cultural and historical references, and magical practices, Wen amplifies the wisdom of the 3,000-year-old text. She includes aspects of the I Ching that have never before been translated into English and offers a critical analysis of earlier I Ching transmissions. Readers will learn how to situate the I Ching within its historical and cultural context, interpret the hexagrams, utilize various divination methods, and so much more. I can't wait to read this book myself. So whether you're new to the I Ching or an experienced occultist, I Ching the Oracle will deepen your understanding of esoteric Taoism and the art and craft of divination. It's available now wherever books are sold, but if you head over to www.northatlanticbooks.com and use code WHICHWAVE25 at checkout now through January 31st, 2024, you will get 25% off of I Ching the Oracle plus free shipping. This offer is limited to recipients within U.S.-based mailing addresses only. So go on ahead to NorthAtlanticBooks.com and order your copy of Benabel Wen's I Ching the Oracle using code WitchWave25. This season of The Witch Wave is brought to you in part by Sphere and Sundry. 
an astro-magical atelier where you can get expertly elected materia magica, oils, incense, bath salts, salves, inks, beauty oils, and more, which have been ritually crafted during rare, powerful, and benefic astrological configurations. And oh my word, I can tell you firsthand, this is the stuff. These formulas are chosen in accord with the strict requirements of the talismanic tradition outlined in the Picatrix and other ancient grimoires, meaning you can benefit from the power of amazing astrological transits even when the stars haven't aligned. These are incredible tools for witches who are looking to embrace the manifestations and results of their spell work, especially the Luna in Cancer series. And I myself have the Luna in Cancer incense, and it is a dream to use for any kind of lunar magic. Venus Materia can be used for love, glamour, and attraction. Regulus for fame and recognition, Asclepius for healing and transformation, and Deneb Algedi for protection. I also used several of Sphere and Sundry's magical products on site in Greece during our group rituals, and they were so potent and so exquisite. I can't say enough good things about them. Since 2018, Sphere and Sundry have been a key driver in the rising tide of popularity and interest in astrological magic, amassing over 5,000 five-star reviews and field reports on their website. Most orders ship within one business day, and Sphere and Sundry is also well known for their incredible customer service as they are their magical results, and I can attest to that as well. Learn more and get $10 off your first order at spearandsundry.com using the code WITCHWAVE. That's spearandsundry.com, S-P-H-E-R-E-A-N-D-S-U-N-D-R-Y.com and use code WITCHWAVE for $10 off your first order. I want to tell you about a new witchy queer-led podcast called Psyche Magic, where psychotherapist Jordan Hale interviews artists of all stripes about working with the subconscious via dreams, tarot, and the spirit realm. These freeform, playful conversations are about integrating the magic of symbol into both waking and dreaming life deepening a sense of interconnection, creativity, and self-knowledge. Jordan's velvety voice and nurturing energy are perfect for relaxing and sending you off for a restful and sometimes eventful night's sleep. If you're like me, you're a practical witch who wants to put those seven or eight, or dare I say nine, hours of sleep to good use, and the Psyche Magic podcast will help you learn to work mindfully with your dream material and cultivate sustainable practices around reveling in your inner world. So grab your nearest dream journal and check out this dreamy podcast. You can visit their website at psychemagicpodcast.com. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E magicpodcast.com. 
psychymagic.com or by searching Psyche Magic wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Katsira Lesser. So, Katsira, you broke down the three different offerings with the understanding that sometimes those categories sort of weave into each other. And one of the offerings that you create that I'm so drawn to and delighted by are your fiber arts, your amulets that you make. In addition, you make stickers. You are creating an oracle deck. So all of these artistic offerings that are also, to my mind, magical talismans of a sort. Can you share a little bit about what it is you make that is artistic and magical and how that's rooted in your Jewitchery? Happily. So amulets are a big piece of what I do. They're a very normative Jewish magic. Talismans, amulets, they're such normative Jewish magic, even if in some cases folks will do mental gymnastics to not call things amulets. But my amulet work, at least for the last few years, has been very rooted in extracting out forms of amulets in the past would have been ink on parchment. So a lot of not a parchment, maybe a few symbols, very large, complex ones as well. Historic Jewish amulets are maximalist, mm-hmm. deeply maximalist. Yes. And the world of Judaism that I've been in for 20 odd years, it's not minimalist, but it likes to refine things to their essence. So it'll take a prayer that is paragraph and paragraph and paragraph, and it'll pick out three words that are the heart. And you will chant those for 10 minutes. Mm. It's almost Sufi-like in some ways, right? When you think about that, I tend to do the amulets is the same thing. I'm not a trained scribe. My handwriting is terrible. And I work in embroidery a lot. So I distill them and I distill them Sometimes I will literally write the words on the linen. I work a lot in linen or wool, and I'll write the words on there first, or I'll make a sigil and I'll transfer it onto the fabric in there. And what I love is it gives me this very slow magic process. Stitching is not fast. Mm-hmm. It literally painfully slow sometimes. Sure. My, this is gross, especially because I have COVID right now. I promise I'm not mm. working on anything someone's going to get right now. Literally, my bodily fluids end up in them because I'm licking fiber, right? (laughs) My sweat is in it. I'm obsessed with the microbiome as a magical partner. So my microbiome, right? The auric layer is a layer of the microbiome. I'm interacting with the materials. They're all interacting together. And then eventually it gets to somebody else and it's interacting with them and their microbiome, right? There's to me a very chemical biological transfer in this as well. I love this so much. I also want to make sure we're defining the term amulet because I know people use talisman and amulet sort of interchangeably. And my understanding is they're not, that an amulet is a distinctly protective device, whereas a talisman can be either, but is usually about manifesting something. Do you agree with that kind of definition or those Ah. definitions? Or do you use the word amulet in a different way? I use amulet for anything with a specifically intended purpose. Mm. So yeah, the manifesting or something else, I kind of use it that way too. I almost flip it where a talisman is more of almost like a spiritual reminder. Hmm. I feel like it's the most Jewish thing. I'm like quoting people and I'm trying to remember like who I said things to me (laughs) so I don't take credit for their words. A Kohenet Ashira Marni Rothman introduced me to the idea of amulets as post-it notes to God. (laughs) 
<laughs> or post-it notes from, right? It's a thing. You have amulets that you you wear and they're on you. Judaism has a lot on the walls. That visual, every time you see it, it's like that reminder and you're sending that little bit of energy out to remind of a thing that's supposed to be happening. Interesting. Most amulets are protective in some way, but I've certainly done ones that have intent beyond simply protection. Okay. Okay. You do create these both stickers of golem, but physical dolls, or I don't know if there's a different word you would use. Glamim. Glamim. I knew it was something like that. Okay. Glamim. Terrific. It's glamim. It's amazing. Although in my mythology, it's almost like fish and fish. I do golem and golem. Yes. Or golemet and golemet. I just make everyone's life easier. And I know it's wrong. And the way I write it is golem and then a slash and then et because I have no idea what their gender is. I think they're non-binary creatures. Yes. And I invite anyone who adopts one of mine to have a conversation with them to find out who they are. Oh, I love it. Both a name and if and any on the gender side. And just to be clear, we're not talking about Gollum from Lord of the Rings. We are talking about Golem, which is a folkloric, magical creature made from clay that then, you know, rabbis and other sages would essentially write a Hebrew word often on their forehead or somewhere on their body to animate them. And this is I would argue the precursor to stories like Frankenstein and a lot of stories about man creating a creature and then bringing it to life. And we have a lot of folklore in Judaism about things going wrong when you make a golem, but also glamim potentially being protective for the Jewish people. So tell me why you started making glamim or golem. So I started making them in 2020. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of folks, I was really struggling to handle the levels of anxiety of just the reality of everything that was happening, right? I mean, if you think about everything that was happening during 2020. Sure. And I was trying to think about what would I do? I don't know. How do I handle this? And it occurred to me, Golem, I'm not the only one that the explosion of Golem art and creation since the pandemic and the, and, uh, the 45 administration mm-hmm. has been a lot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I started making one and I don't work with clay. I started making one out of felt. I had some dark brown felt, dirt colored felt in the house. So I, I drew a pattern intentionally with magical intent including when I finished the pattern, I outlined it with a selenite wand, like I traced it repeatedly. I chanted psalms over it, but I also did the selenite wand on it. And I made my little golem. Mine is actually filled with clay from my yard that my husband dug up. He is definitely an enabler on these things. He decided that (laughs) clay was needed. So he dug up some clay for me. Oh, I love that. And my golem, whose name is Gashi, ended up looking like a gingerbread cookie. Not on purpose, (laughs) but then on purpose. Yes, yes. Ah, wonderful. That delights me to no end. Yeah, cracked me up and Gashi was fine with it. And that was really the start of it. And I posted a picture and people were like, I need. It's like, oh, okay. And I started making a bunch of them. Then I learned how to make stickers. That was actually the gateway drug to stickers. And I made a (laughs) glitter golem stickers. I was like, I think I need glitter golem. And then as happens, my husband said, could you make a glitter golem? (gasps) And I was like, oh, could I? And the next thing I knew, I found glitter fabric. And there's a whole bunch of glitter ones happening. They're really hard to make. They're very painful to make. I had glitter ones. They like to disco dance. There's videos. Oh, 
I'm swooning right now. This is like <laughs> so the Venn diagram of many of my interests. Like there's uh. many of my interests that come together here. And unlike the mythology of the golem in the past, which is very grr, they're grr arg, right? Mine are protecting through ridiculous cuteness. Yes. Not taking shit too seriously. This is my thing. <laughs> And they will slap someone silly for you. I mean, that's for sure. They will get you to dance first to help you shake up your anxiety. They love to be good listeners and they're protectors in helping you feel strong. And they have the Hebrew word emet, which means truth written on them, Mm -hmm. which is said to be the signature of the divine. If you take the first letter away, it becomes the word for death, which is also how you deactivate your golem if you ever need to. Yep. And then in some of the legends, along with the word for truth being written on their forehead or on their chest, there's another scroll placed inside of them that people don't know what it is, but it's really like the mission of the golem. And so all of mine also have a scroll inside, which are the final words of Psalm 33, which has been used to ward off plague and epidemic. Mm. Perfect. And it's in feminine God language, the way I do it. I use it from the Kohenet Siddur, and so it's feminine God language. Oh, okay. You and I are going to have to talk offline about me commissioning a glitter golem. There's more coming. Are there? Oh, good, good. I'm getting there. We have to get to the Oracle deck first because I owe people Oracle decks right now. Yes. But yes, Gashi has been staring at me, insisting that we get back to doing some new golem. Yes. Katsira, I'm glad you brought up the Oracle deck. We are coming up on time, but I must hear about this deck because I must figure out how to procure one from you. So it is Eight Ot, a Netivote Wisdom Oracle, second edition. It is a 53-card oracle deck based in Jewish teachings, inspired by the teachings of the Quranic Hebrew Priestess Institute of Blessed Memory. And it's based in the teachings, but also my more than 15 years now as an ordained Kohenet. So the core concept is a concept called the Netivot, which means pathways in Hebrew, simply means pathways. Sometimes people think of them as archetypes. And when you are training as a Kohenet, you are taught 13 pathways of the divine that have appeared in feminine form in Jewish teachings, in femme or feminine forms. Since so much of normative Judaism is masculine, even if people say God is neither male nor female, you are still given this masculine, masculine, masculine over and over. And so this is very rooted in femme forms that are for anyone, regardless of gender. And so it's rooted in that. The big change for the second edition is there's a fourth suit now that I had a vision of but I got a clear message to let go of so I could actually finish the first edition. Mm. With the second edition, it is now fully realized there, although I still think the first edition is fabulous. Yes. The Kickstarter did fully fund, and now I'm working through the last hurdles with the printer to get through printing. I have to redesign the tuck box, but that is the actual last piece that has to go, and it'll be at the printer. And for those like me who unfortunately missed the Kickstarter, will there be some extras available? Yes, yes, yes. The fabulous folks from the Kickstarter helped fund a print run of about 300, I think is what I'm doing. Yes. Okay, wonderful. Well, listen, Katsira, I feel both so full from our conversation and also like, oh my goodness, there's 97 other things that I wanted to talk to you about that we didn't get to. So 
I sincerely hope that you will come back, and I hope you and I will have many, many more conversations offline because you just inspire me and you inform me, and I just adore you. I mean, it's that simple. Before we go, can you please let the good folks know how they can work with you, how they can learn from you, read your Substack, all the sites and links that you care to shout out? Absolutely. Yep. And mutual fangirl society here, Pam, without even the slightest question. So you can find me just about everywhere under Devotage, D-E-V-O-T-A-J. Sometimes it has to be underscore arts or something like that. The website is devotage.com. Substack is devotage.substack.com. And those will get you to the Instagram or my TikTok foolishness. I, I don't know what to do with TikTok. I'm too old. Not too old. You don't have to be too old for that. I'm just really silly. I'm ridiculous on TikTok. The website, Instagram, and Substack are really the main ones. Perfect. Well, listen, I hope that your golem helps heal your COVID as quickly as possible. I hope it helps bring even more silliness and foolishness to your magic and to the world. And thank you again for being here and making all the magic you make. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Katsira Lesser for sharing her inspiring, encircling magic with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Please do drop us an email or a voice memo at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and or Walter Nordquist and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Our new Witchwave logo was designed by Thunderwing. And special thanks, as always, go to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch over at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And do consider giving us lots and lots of sparkly stars and glowing reviews. It really, truly does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at WitchWavePod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. My book, Waking the Witch, is available everywhere now. And the witchcraft book I edited and co-authored for Tashin is as well. So thank you for checking those out too. And if you want more Witchwave or you would just like to support the show, please do join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.